men's event together, and uh, we went, what, like men like to do, we went out and found us a, a good range and shot some guns. From what I'm hearing, I'm not, I don't know if that was as dangerous as the ladies' ornament exchange, but, you know, so... Anyway, we hope that you all will come to the Ladies of Ornament Exchange. And um, I had to go out for a few minutes uh, during the worship, but right before the worship really began. And I come back in and I see all these people, all of you gathered around the front worshiping, and it was a blessing to me. I think when we gather up close like that, uh, I think closeness creates intimacy. And I think it's also encouraging to our praise and worship team. So thank you for coming up. Right, Danny? Thank you for, for gathering up and getting a little closer and, and, and worshiping the Lord this morning. So um, how many of you out here, out here, maybe some of you are already done with your Christmas shopping? Anybody? Oh, gosh. So you're the people we hate, you know? You really are. You always have those ones that are done, you know, before Thanksgiving or right after Thanksgiving. And so how many of you are like me and you ain't even started? How many of you are like me, and if it wasn't for your wife, you know, ain't nobody going to get no gift. Okay, good. Right, right. Well, I, especially to the men, I want to give you a little bit of um, uh, a tidbit. It might help you out. You know, I don't know if your wife likes Mary Kay stuff or not, but mine does. And so I've got a Mary Kay lady who happens to be a, a high school friend of my wife. And so my, my shopping consists of this. So, men, I can turn you on to her if, if your wife's a Mary Kay lady. She calls me and says, hey, it's that time of year again. I say, okay, Beth, get her a little something. You know what she likes. And she gets it all together. And she says, how much do you want to spend? And I tell her. And she, she not only she just get it together, she brings it to the church most of the time. And I sneak out there, and she's got, a, I think, a pink Cadillac or a pink something because she always does real well. And it looks like a drug deal takes place in the parking lot. I give her some money, and she gives me a basket. And there's my Christmas shopping. It's, it's done. And so... Guys, if you need somebody to help you out, I'm sure that uh, she'll be glad to. But um, we like to give gifts, don't we? And we're moving into that season of gift giving, of gift giving. And we like to give gifts, especially to our children. And um, if you're like me, you know, when I, when I give gifts to our kids, I remember, I remember one time when we gave, uh, it was Christmas, for, and, and Colin's here now, so he's like, oh great, I get to be the the subject of a sermon illustration, but when they, when they were little boys, uh, we did not have satellite and we didn't have cable. And so we just lived off an antenna on the roof and, and to the point that uh, Tammy was at a procedure one time with a doctor and she was telling him this, that look, we don't have satellite, we don't have cable. And he looked over at her and he said, I didn't realize people still live like that. Almost like we had an outhouse or something, like we didn't have you know, electricity anymore. Needed. And, and, and so, and I didn't realize people still live like that now until the, uh, the fishers still live like that. So, hey, you know, there are still people who live like that. But, um, but anyway, uh, so what we decided to do one, one year was we decided we were going to get satellite. Because, you know, our kids were the only ones in the world who didn't have access to Cartoon Network. So we decided we would get, get satellite. And what we did is we took, we took the remote controls and we, we wrapped them up in boxes just alike and they came up, and we said, guys, here's, here's your Christmas present. And they tore him things open. And when Hayden's looked at his remote control, he knew exactly what it was. He shot upstairs to, the, to, to where his TV was. And Colin looked at him like a really a spoiled American kid. He said, a remote control? And so, but when we told him what it was, he knew what it was, and he went on upstairs. But why do we do that? Why do we give gifts to our children? Do we give them to them because we expect something in return? No. Do we give it to them because they've been good? Absolutely not. 
We give them to them because we want to see the joy in their face. It blesses us to see them joy and, and, and the happiness that comes from giving gifts. And, and, and much the same for the rest of our family. So we love to give gifts. And if we love to give our children gifts, how much more does God, our Heavenly Father? And if you're here this morning and you're saved, and we hope that you are, we hope that you're a redeemed person. You have a Heavenly Father and He loves you. And he wants to give you good gifts. And we see that in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. So if you have your Bible or your smartphone or wherever it is you read the scriptures on, if you want to turn to Matthew's gospel, 7th chapter, verses 7 through 11. This was the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus said this. He said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. And what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? And if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them." For this is the law and the prophets. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I do thank you that you're our father. I do thank you, Lord, that you do want to give and do give good gifts. Lord, and we just simply look into your word this morning to see the gifts that you have for us if we're willing to receive them. So I thank you for your presence that's been here this morning already and the anointing and the music and and our time together already. And I ask God for your anointing on me as I share your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So you have an outline before you. I say this often, the outline's more for me than it is for you. So you're welcome to follow along. You're welcome to take some notes. Many of the scriptures will be up on the screen. Some of them will not be. And so you do with the outline what you will. Hopefully you can, something will be said today that you can study further. But do look at the introduction. One of the traditions of Christmas season is the giving of gifts. This tradition can be traced to the original nativity when the wise men came and brought gifts as part of the worship of the Christ child. We know that the first thing, one of the first things that happened in the Christmas season was the wise men came and they brought gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So we see part of the love and the outpouring of love is the giving of gifts. Then there's St. Nicholas who was a priest around 300 AD and was known for his generosity and would slip coins in the shoes of children when they left them out. Unfortunately, in our over-commercialized nation, the idea of giving gifts and Santa Claus has replaced the real meaning of this season. Nevertheless, we love to give gifts to our loved ones, especially our children, and our Heavenly Father is no exception. So if you go and you Google, if you go Google the gifts of God, you'll find many things. Many things will come up. But this morning, I want to deal with three gifts specifically that are given to us by God. And the first one is the gift of which all other gifts flow. The first is the gift of what this season we're moving into is really about. The first is the gift of salvation. And it's found in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Reads like this. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So let's, let's dig into that scripture just a little bit. First, it's given by grace. It's given by grace. 
The Greek word for grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And it means favor, blessing, and kindness. And if you're here this morning and you've been saved, you've been saved by God's grace because He poured out on you and on me His favor and His kindness and His blessing. We have a little term for it, a little churchy saying. It is the unmerited favor of God. And we say that, church, and I say it, and it rolls off of my lips, but I don't think I can fully understand the grace of God. But I certainly accept it. And I thank God that it's only through that amazing grace that I can have salvation. It's what separates Christianity from all other religions. Every other religion is man's pursuit of God. How can I please God? What can I do to get closer to God? God got closer to us. We serve a seeking God. We see that even at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. God went looking for them and they had hid themselves. He's always seeking His people because of His grace. And we can do nothing to please Him other than put our trust in His Son. And this idea of grace is is poured out certainly in the New Covenant, but the idea of grace runs through the entire Scriptures. We see it at the very beginning. Once again in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says that God cursed the ground. The Bible says that God cursed the serpent. But He didn't curse Adam and Eve. As a matter of fact, He told them, this mess that you've made, I'm going to straighten it. And He told, one's going to come. One's going to come. He's going to crush the head of the serpent that led you into this. And so we see that grace. And we see it carried out all through the Old Testament. When God chose a people. And like us, they, they sinned. They turned their back on God. But he always kept his remnant and he always kept his people all the way through the Old Testament. And he still keeps us today because of his grace and because we have his favor. It's accepted through faith. I cannot tell you how many times in my devotion time and my quiet time, I like to sit on my porch and we have some Adirondack chairs out there. And I may be praying and I may be troubled by things in my mind. And I'm talking to the Lord and I'm praying. And how many times I look over and if if there was someone who was walked up on me, they would probably think I was crazy. But how many times I look over at one of those Adirondack chairs and I said, Lord, I sure wish you would sit right there so I could talk to you. I sure do have some questions. There sure are some things I, I don't fully understand right now. He hadn't done that yet, but what he has done, he's given me his word. And the Bible says that, that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. I've not seen the Lord. But I've experienced him. I've experienced him in his word. I've experienced him in my spirit. And the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. One of the greatest statements in the Bible for me that helps me is Thomas. Thomas said he was known as what? Doubting Thomas. And he had trusted the Lord. He had seen the miracles. He put all his hope in this man. And now he's crucified and he's dead. And the disciples go and they hide themselves and someone comes in and said, hey, he's alive, we've seen him. And Thomas is like, I can't do this no more. What do you mean he's alive? I just can't do this. And Jesus appears to him. He said, Thomas, look look at my hands. Thomas, look at my side. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. But then what Jesus said to him helps me. He said, Thomas, you believe because you see me. Blessed are those who will believe and they hadn't seen me. So we walk by faith, and that salvation is by faith. And I'm here to tell you something, church. There is one thing that the devil will make you doubt more than anything is your salvation. If you've put your trust in Him, if you've repented of your sin, even if you've struggled in a sin that God don't want us sinning, but even 
you keep hold of the fact that God keeps his children, he will make you doubt your salvation. So it's accepted through faith. It's not of yourself. You can't work for it. You can't be good enough to get it. It comes only through and by God. Matter of fact, Romans 3.11 tells us no one understands. No one seeks God. You know, I've said this before. When I meet new believers, I get a chance to travel some and I meet new believers. I like to know, ask them this question. How did you come to faith in the Lord? Tell me your testimony. And I've heard everything. I've heard I was raised in church. I've heard someone put a tract in my hand. I've heard I went to a crusade. I've heard I just went to church one day, something, and I just decided I needed to go to church. Something was pulling. That's what I've heard. But here's what I haven't heard. I haven't heard somebody say this. I got up this morning. I went to the gym. I went to the bank. I went to the grocery store. I'm I'm describing a day in my life, by the way. And then I just decided, you know what, I'm going to go down to the church and I'm going to get saved. That's what I'm going to do today. I've never heard that before. Because we don't do that. We don't do it. It's not of ourselves. The Holy Spirit is working through people today, through that crusade, through that preacher, through that friend, through you. He wants to work through you. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and what His function is. But what He is now, he, He's not an impersonal force. He's a very personal person and there's a mission on this earth but he wants to do it through people and that's done through me and you it's not of ourselves our salvation is not of ourself but what are we saved from we use this kind of churchy word people need to get saved do you know there's a lot of people out in our world today if you said have you been saved they would have no idea what you were talking about saved from what what do i need salvation from romans 6 23 tells us this For the wages of sin is death. That means I've earned it. That means you've earned it. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what I deserve, I deserve death. I deserve a grave and I deserve hell. But God in His grace, He saved me from that. I love that song we sang. And we're going to do it at altar. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. That's what we're saved from. That's what Christ did for us. The wages of sin is death. You should always read the fullness of every scripture. But if there's any one scripture you should always read the fullness of is Romans 6.23. So many times you'll see people that where they're out and they may be at a, an abortion clinic or they may be at a pride parade or they may be at something or whatever else and they're holding these big signs and it says, for the wages of sin is death. Never stop there with that verse because there's a big old butt after it. And people need to know about the butt. Because but what? The gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is... The wages of my sin is death. The wages of your sin is is death. But when I come to Christ, He gives me this gift of salvation, and it is eternal life. I have the gift of salvation. I have the gift of eternal life. And as I went through this, and I thought about this idea of salvation, I think too many times what's happened in the Western church, we've made this an event Come to this event and get saved. Come to the church and get saved. Come to this crusade and get saved. Come to this revival and get saved. And what's spoken in my spirit, church, is we're not calling people to an event. We're calling people to a person. We are calling people to a person. The person of Jesus Christ. I thought about the encounter with the Lord and the woman at the well. 
He had said, I got to go through Samaria. Samaria, who knew this woman was coming through. And he wanted to meet with her. She was a Samaritan. He walks up. She's there to get water. She is there for her physical need. And I've seen so many times in the church when people decide to come into a church or come to a believer, they come because they have a physical need. They come, I'm sick. I've lost my job. My kids are in trouble. Something's happening. But where the Lord wants to take, He may or may not deal with my physical need, but He will deal with your spiritual need. And He dealt with her spiritual need. Because she said, He said, give me a drink. And He says, well, she said, you don't even have anything to draw with. He said, if you knew who it was who was speaking to you, you would ask of Him, and He would give you living water. So He did not necessarily deal with her physical need. He dealt with her spiritual need. And when we call people, we're calling people to Christ. We're calling people to Christ. He's the one who will save. He is the one who will deliver. He is the one who will forgive them of our sin. The gift of salvation. It is the gift by which all of the gifts flow. Then there's the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We believe in the Trinity here. Father, Son, there's one God. Father, Son, Holy Ghost manifested in three persons. I can say more. When I've studied this, I can tell you this. I can say more about the Holy Spirit than I can truly understand. But He is the third person of the Godhead and He indwells every truly converted believer. The moment someone comes to Christ, repents of their sin, puts their trust in Him, makes Him the Lord of their life, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in them. Jesus said that in John 7 and 39. He said, but this He spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in Him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Those believing in Him would receive. When he was glorified, he went away. He said, I'm going to send someone else. And we receive him. And what does he do? What does he do? I said Jesus was talking to his, to his believers. They were troubled. They had been with him all this time. They'd seen the miracles. I think they still thought he was going to be the person who would conquer Rome. That's what they, I think in their flesh, what they really wanted. They never got a full concept that he was here for his eternal kingdom. But he kept telling them, I'm going away, I'm going away, I'm going away. And he could see they were troubled. And in John 16, 5 through 15, and I don't have this. You can read that at home if you'd like. It was too much scripture for, to read this morning. But this is what he tells them. He says, I know you're troubled, but I'm going away. I know you're sorrowful. But it's good that I go away. Because if I go away, the Holy Spirit, he will come. And what is he going to do when he comes? He gives clear Instruction. He gives a clear example of what he's going to do. He says he's going to do this. He's going to convict the world of sin. He's going to convict the world of sin because they don't believe in him. All sin flows through unbelief, church. That's the first and greatest sin, that they don't believe in Christ. And he wants to work through us to share the message. He's going to convict the world of righteousness. He was righteous. Now our righteousness is in him. And he's going to convict the world of judgment. Because the work has been done, the work has been finished, the evil one is judged, and now we can tell of the judgment and the escape from the judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing today. And how is He doing it? He's doing it through us. 
We speak of the Holy Spirit almost as if he's some impersonal force, but he's not. He's working in me. He's working in you. He's working through us. We are to be the hands and the feet of Jesus himself through the Holy Spirit. And he gives us power to do that. Acts 1 and 8 says this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me, witnesses to me, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that power was for them and it's for us. That power indwells us to go out and to be witnesses of his. And it can't be bought and, it, and, it, and, it, and too many times people want the power, they want the gifts, they want something, but they don't really want the Lord. They don't want what comes from it. They don't want the, the biding time that comes from it. You know, one thing I think about when, what happened on Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was given, the Bible says they went to the upper room and did what? Tarried. They went up there and tarried. They spent time up there. Oh, boy, don't ask me to wait for nothing. If I can't get it and get it right now, right now, and I've always heard it say, hey, we're, we're, we're uh, microwave Christians serving a crockpot God. Sometimes we have to spend time before him to get the fullness and experience the fullness of his spirit. Somebody thought he could buy it. In Acts 8, 18 through 20, it was a man named Simon. And he saw what the apostles were doing. He saw the power of the apostles. And, he said, and it says this, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. The gift's not purchased. The gift is given through the power of the Holy Spirit. And within those within those. That gift of the Holy Spirit is the gifts. It is the gifts. Paul lists those gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. He also lists some in Romans 12. But our gifts are given to the believers. What is it about these gifts? First, there are a variety of gifts, but they come through the same Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, reads like this. There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. What are the diversity of gifts there? There's nine of them. I don't have them on your outline. If you want to grab a pen in front of you and write them down, you can. But he's referring to four gifts there. The gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, the gift of faith, of healings, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And what are they given for? Are they given to make us look real spiritual? Are they given to make us look real weird? Because that happens too. No. They're given for the common good. They're guilting for the building up of the body of saints. They're guilting for the building up of the church. You heard one of those gifts function this morning. When those things function, when they're certainly when they're functioning in the spirit, I have a sense that I have been built up. I have a sense that I've been exhorted. I've been in church before when things are happening I don't get that sense I get the sense that flesh is operating and sometimes flesh operates and if the spirit of the living God indwells in you you'll know the difference when the flesh is operating but one thing I can tell you and I know we have some folks who have come to our church maybe from some churches that don't believe that the gifts still function today 
is that the gifts still function today. There's two camps. There's the cessationists, and they're good people. I love them. I have some good friends that, that, that don't believe the gifts, that they ceased. They believe they ceased with the early church. And then there's continuous, which is what we are. We believe they're still for us today. I have a good friend of mine that attends First Baptist Church downtown, and their, their pastor is, is Andy Davis. He's got a doctorate in divinity, went to MIT, saved at MIT. Smart, smart man. And he's a, verse, he's a chapter-by-verse preacher. And my friend who attends there said, I think you would have enjoyed Andy Davis's teaching today. And he sent me his notes. And he came to 1 Corinthians 12. And the thing about the gifts, if the people are true to the Scripture, and this is what guides us, church. This is what guides us in all things. And to be true to this Scripture, you can't read it and come to a conclusion that they stopped. And Andy Davis went through that. He went through 1 Corinthians 12. And he compared the cessationists and the continuous. And he said this. He said that the, on, the only Scripture that those who believe it stopped, that they rest on, is found in 1 Corinthians 13, the next chapter over. And it says this. It says, for where there's prophecies, they'll cease. Where there's tongues, they'll cease. Uh, where there's knowledge, it'll cease. And it says, but when the perfect comes... It says they'll cease when the perfect comes. And those who follow that camp, they say that happened in the Bible. When the Bible was canonized, the perfect came. Andy Davis said, no, 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 no. What that's referring to is the second coming of the Lord. When the Lord returns, we won't need prophecy no more. We won't need knowledge. We won't need tongues. Our faith will be our eyes. And then every other scripture in the Bible speaks that this continues today. That is still for us today. And so when my friend told me this, I asked him, I said, okay, good. That's, that's wonderful. I said, but at the end of a service like we'll do here, will you call people down and, and pray over them? Will you put your hands on them if they're sick? He said, well, I don't know. I said, then what good's the gift? The gift's been made to be used. He, God's given me this gift. He wants us to use it. What good is the gift? Paul talked to Timothy. He's told Timothy, he said, stir up the gift. Stir it up. The gift in there is charisma. It means endowment. Stir up the endowment. It's a qualification. It's a miraculous faculty. Stir it up. In other words, use it. Use it. Yeah, be cautious. The, the whole chapter of, of, of 1 Corinthians 12 is because the church, you want to see a church that was wild, read, read 1 Corinthians. That church had some problems. And they were abusing some things. And Paul was coming in to set some things straight. But nowhere in there did he say, just because people are abusing it, just because it's not functioning as it should function, nowhere in there did he say, just stop the whole thing. Throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. So, they're still for us today. They're still for us today. He did have this in here, though. There's a, a respected Bible teacher by the name of Wayne Gudum. Wayne Gudum said this about the two camps, if you will, or the two different arguments in this between commonly, people commonly known as charismatic or Pentecostals and those who are commonly known as Reformed, who we would know in that camp typically are Baptists, maybe Lutherans, Presbyterians, Methodists. One thing I love about DMIP, and I will tell you, church, that as our days grow darker, the denominational walls are coming down. 
when we're in need and we're about as a church, we're about to be in need of one another like never before. I'm not going to care whether it's a Baptist brother praying for me or, or a Pentecostal brother or a Presbyterian. If they're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and they live by this word, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But this is what he said. This is what Wayne Goodham said. It can be argued that those in charismatic and Pentecostal camps and those in the cessationist camp really need each other. And they would do well to appreciate each other more. The Pentecostals and Charismatics, I like what he says here, the Pentecostals and Charismatics tend to have more practical experience in the use of spiritual gifts and in the vitality of worship. One thing I love about our worship is the vitality of it. We're free to worship. We want the Holy Spirit's presence. We want it where he's welcomed here. That cessationists could benefit from if they were willing to learn. On the other hand, reformed and dispensational groups have traditionally been very strong in understanding of Christian doctrine and in deep and accurate understanding of the teachings of Scripture. Charismatic and Pentecostal groups could learn much from them if they would be willing to do so. But it certainly is not helpful to the church as a whole for both sides to think they can learn nothing from the other or that they can gain no benefit from fellowship with each other. I think that's a great statement. The gifts are still for us today. I need them. You need them. They still function in the church today. And they're part of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And lastly is the gift of the church. The gift of the church. There are 56 one another's in the New Testament. The, the, the term one another is used 56 times in the New Testament. But I just want to deal with three. First, we are to love one another. We are to love one another. John 13, 34 through 35 reads like this. A new commandment I give to you to love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples because your love for one another. The world should see a church that loves each other. I sense your love for me. I hope you sense my love for you. It's not, a, it's not an eros love where we get our word erotica from. It's, a, it's, a, it's working on a phileo love, which I don't think we can fully do. But it's a deep love in Christ for each other and a concern for each other. You know, many of us went to the uh, Love Life gathering a couple, a couple Saturdays ago, and there was 500 people there. 500 believers, most of which I had, I didn't know. I knew you. I knew a couple of the leaders with Love Life. And I knew a couple other people we had met one time before. But other than that, of that 500, I knew one. But there's a sense of love and unity there. I mean, it really is. There's 500. Imagine what it's going to be like. Imagine what it's going to be like at the marriage supper of the Lamb. When there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of us. And we're standing around. And I think we're going to stand and waiting for the appearance of the Lord. It's going to be incredible. Because I know how that felt just standing out there with them and the sense that I had of, of a love and a unity. And Christ said that's how they'll know us when they see us like that. We are to teach and admonish one another. Colossians 3.16 says, But let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Teaching and admonishing one another. How do we teach and admonish one another? I, in Romans 15 and 14, Paul said this. I don't have that. He said, concerning you, brethren, you are all filled with goodness, knowledge, able to admonish one 
another. You know, this, this form of teaching and, and preaching is good. It, it, it's, 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 we must have it. And how we do on Wednesday night. But do you know for you to grow in the Lord, it is the least effective way? Do you know you need to have someone who's walking beside you in life? Do you know you need to have a brother or a sister who will come along beside you, two or three, and you do this thing together? You do. Especially today. And that's, they will teach you by their life. You will teach them by your life. I have brothers like that. I have friends. I have very two dear friends like that. And they, we do life together a lot. We eat dinner with them. We're, we're together more than just here. We're going to do that tonight. But they teach me. But I'm going to tell you something else they would do to me. And I'm going to tell you it's very important. You don't hear it a lot. They would admonish you. They would admonish me. Admonish means to caution or to warn from error. If I got off on the rails, I can tell you there's at least two of them. And one of them's a big guy, a former All-American wrestler. He'd be knocking on my door saying, what are you doing? Have you lost your mind? See, I think too many times when people get off the rails, we still want to stroke, well, you know, God understands, it's okay. It ain't okay. (laughs) You need somebody to say, this ain't okay. This is not okay. So you need a brother and a sister. And, and listen, you need that type of relationship with them. A pastor can't necessarily do that for you. They can. It might be received differently, though, from someone who's doing life with you, who you've built that close relationship with, because they know you love them. And they know that they're just trying to warn you from error. And then lastly, we're to serve one another. Galatians 5 and 13 it says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for flesh, but through love serve one another. Amen. Serve one another. I'm going to ask Matt and the team if they will to come forward. The gift of salvation, the gift of the Holy Spirit, within that is the gifts of the Spirit and the gift of being together, the gift of one another. You want to see somebody get, get wild, watch the people who get out on an island and nobody can tell them nothing. Nobody can teach them nothing. They know it all. They got it right. I can tell you, I'm no Bible scholar, but I read it a lot and I study it a lot. And I listen to people. I listen to people in those two different camps, cessationist camps and continuous camps. And I listened to a debate one time between a a, a cessationist and a continuist. And it it was more on eternal security. And they did an opening statement. And, And after the first opening statement, from the guy who believed in the once saved, always saved doctrine in a strict sense, after he finished, I was like, oh, wow, man, I think this guy knocked it out of the park. I mean, he gave scriptures and everything. Then the next guy came up and gave how, listen, how we can walk away from the Lord. We can make a conscious decision to turn our back on him. And he supported it with scriptures. I'm like, man, now I don't know. And these were smart, well-taught, learned men. I'm not going to get hung up on that church. I only hung up on the salvation. Come to Christ. Come to the Lord. He'll straighten all those things out. Romans eleven twenty nine. Romans eleven twenty nine. Now Paul in this scripture, I don't have it. I'm going to share it with you. Paul is a Jew. In verses nine through eleven of Romans, is Paul dealing with his people, with his people. And he wanted more than anything for them to know their Messiah. And we still do as Christians today. I want the Jewish people to know their Messiah. 
And he says this, so keep in mind, he, the gifts, the Bible, the Christ, everything, all come through the Jewish people. Thank God for the Jewish people. But they've turned their back and they still don't believe him as their Messiah. They, they had to send prophets all through the Old Testament to, to warn them over and over again. And they keep turning back and keep turning back, keep rejecting. They've rejected their Messiah. But Paul said this to them. And this is also for us in Romans eleven twenty nine, 29. He said, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He don't take them back. When we go out shopping and buy something, I imagine you the same way. Tammy says, make sure you get a gift receipt. You do that, get a gift receipt so you can put it in there with the gift so if it don't fit or you don't like it, you can take it back. Well, God doesn't do that. His gifts, these gifts of salvation and the Spirit and the church, He don't take them back. He offers them. He offers them. So the question for you this morning, has you accepted this free gift of salvation? Have you put your trust in Him? Have you experienced the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit? That's the question for all of us today. Because the calling of a God is irrevocable as well. He had called the Jewish people. And now he's called all people to himself. And if he's calling you this morning, if he's dealing with you, how does that happen? It happens because the word has been given. The worship has been done. The word has been given. And God, through his Holy Spirit, goes out and he deals with people. And if he's pricking your heart, the altar is open. The altar is open. He's calling you to take this free gift of salvation. I'm going to say, everyone, if you will, to please stand and Bow your head for a moment. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you never received this gift of salvation, I just want to tell you the altar's open. What's going to happen if I come down there? Someone's going to pray with you. One of them one another's is going to come and stand beside you and pray for you. If not, I'm going to ask Matt and the team, they're going to sing one of the songs from the worship set. And I just want to spend some time in worship. And so I'm going to ask everyone who will to come forward. Everyone who will. As they begin to sing, come forward. Let's spend some time in worship. And then we're also going to take special requests. Brother Matt.